the birthplace of the Bohemian Revolution from Cowork 591 Studios. This is the Steve Brown Arts Center Podcast Network with co-host Dale Reber and producer Blake Tempest. I am Jim Gillespie, and this is the Jessup News for July 17th, 2023. The summer goes fast. It certainly does, yeah. It's almost time for school to start. It is. My son told me that Target's getting in all kinds of school supplies now. That always used to make my stomach upset. Yeah, it did. Yeah, me too. I on today's podcast, you know what used to get me is I hear the crickets in the basement. Yeah, and I know it was time for school to start. It'd be towards the end of August. Uh, ah, it used to give me that terrible feeling. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Not that I didn't love going to school. <laughs> <of course>. <laughs> <laughs> we talked today to uh, Jessup resident Mike Farrell. We talk about winners and losers, Dale and I. We talk about Farmers Day and get uh, the update on how that went. I talk about turning 50 or when I turned 50, mm-hmm. um, although... Um, so that wasn't recently, was it? It was. It. It's been <laughs> okay. a couple of years. Okay. All okay. Right. Um, I talk about the 10th segment of Mandino's book on how to be successful. We look at the events inside the Steve Brown Arts Center. We give you the top stories in Jessup, and we discuss... Service and art. Um, I know Mike will have a lot to talk about service, and Dale has something special for you. As I look over my shoulder there, I see, I see something pretty neat. You um, do? Okay. Well, okay. actually, it's a makeup of the last time I was here. Was something I talked about. I have to give more information. So. All right. Um, the Steve Brown Arts Center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that has a vision for artists, young and old alike, to have the opportunity to better themselves while helping to build the skills of those around them. It will be offering community programming starting in Jessup, Iowa, before expanding to neighboring communities. Programming will include a community speaker series that will showcase existing creatives who reside within the community, as well as a pop-up series that will spotlight and partner with local businesses to provide opportunities for community engagement. The long-range vision is to house a rural artist residency program for professional and emerging artists in all areas of the arts and humanities. Artists will be offered accommodations and studio space in exchange for contribution of labor and maintenance of the buildings and grounds. Dale, we were talking before the show, uh, our numbers, thanks to some of the, the guests like Jacob McMartin and Rachel Dow and mm-hmm. the like, our, our numbers have been up and we, we need to thank those guests. Um, 2% of our, our listening audience is in uh, the United Kingdom, okay. believe it or not. <laughs> Um, All right, we're we're traveling over the ocean. uh, I had a call from a person I worked with for a number of years, and they are listening. I want to do a shout-out to Jeff and thank him for listening. Our Spotify numbers are up to 68 members. Okay. And there are are people that not only listen on Spotify but listen on Apple and other other places where they can find the podcast. Okay. Well, I'll say a word to Eric Frank. He's my son's brother-in-law, and I saw him at one of the baseball games where my grandson was playing, and uh, he said he's been listening to them, and so I want to thank him for doing that. So Eric Frank of Lake City, Iowa. There you go. Out Hi. west. Welcome, welcome, Eric. Glad you're listening. Uh, so, so the... 
The first thing on our on the show today is the 10th step to success in Ogmandino is the greatest salesman in the world. The greatest salesman in the world is a book that I would recommend that you read. You can read it in a weekend if you get a chance. Mm-hmm. And the 10th step to success is to ask God for strength, not ask God for things. Uh, Mandino talks about, he doesn't necessarily talk a lot about God, but he talks about every living creature, if they're painted into a corner, if they are fighting for something, they call out to their their God. Mm -hmm. They call for strength. And so I, I, as I read this, the advice that Mandino recommends, as, and when I, after I've read this book multiple times, when I pray, Dale, I, I don't pray for, for items. I don't pray for something for me. I pray for the strength to handle what is presented to me. Okay, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, and that is that that is probably um, helped me as much as anything. That that part of the book, uh, I didn't teach that in class for obvious reasons, public school and and religious religious things. I I did not present the ten yeah, step to, to success. You have to be careful. With yeah, that, yeah. Um, but I did present the first nine. But I was like Mandino's. Tenth step to success in his book, The Greatest Salesman in the World. There's a very neat. Uh, there's a in the Bulletin Journal. There's a article written by a pastor every night, and I don't know if it's every week or. But uh, the one was talking, and now I can't think. It was David or Solomon? He was talking. Uh, uh, the pastor was writing about how when he was given a chance to uh, ask for anything he wanted, he asked for wisdom rather than diamonds, gold, or castles right. or to be the king or whatever. He asked for wisdom and. Uh, the it was I wish I'd have kept the article because uh-huh. uh, I thought that the minister in Independence did a real nice job of writing about that and making it seem like that was the way a person should go and so uh, I like that so and that's kind of what you're doing too is you're asking for the strength to be able to handle the things that come each day right, right? okay right so uh-huh. next on our list we have winners and losers Dale so so you know first okay. <laughs> My winner is the the Methodist Church float. Uh, those, and I say those people because I'm one of those people, but I'm also on the Farmers Day boards. Had to stay in the middle, kind of. But they've been working on floats for years and years and years, and they keep getting beat up by the Presbyterians down the street. And uh, so this year, uh, I know they put a lot of work into it. And Mary Stuben is a former art teacher. She's uh, uh, big in the arts, and so she gave them a lot of help and had a lot of good ideas. And so they ended up. They didn't win the church float first prize, but they won the grand prize, oh, which is even better, see? Yes. And so uh, they're very tickled that uh, all of their work paid off for them. And so I'm glad to see, after many, many years of being second and even third to the Presbyterians and somebody else, they uh, they finally <laughs> won a prize. You know, they won the grand prize. And so uh, they're very, very happy. Uh, I was over to Stu Ben's a couple of times. Mary's involved in our... Arts in the Park, uh, these two months of the summer, and <clears throat> she was working on the float both yeah. times I was over there. Yeah. So yeah. 
I'm glad to hear that uh, she had success. I know yeah. Mary worked. I'm sure, and I'm sure other people worked real hard yeah. on the yeah. float as yeah. well. Yeah, I know Bill and Mary May were involved with it a lot, and Mary Stubain, and I'm sure there were others. Mm -hmm. But uh, I stay out of it because I try to remain neutral. See, so. that's that's a good way to yeah. be. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my winner is Alan Wright and the children he transported on his bus for 65 years. Okay. It is a remarkable thing. Alan is ageless. You, I, he looks just like the Alan that I met 40 years ago when I came to Justin. Yeah. And, and there, I saw a wonderful picture of some of the students that Alan transported on his bus. Mm -hmm. There are four uh, generations of some families. Four generations. Yeah. And I know that some of his family and people are trying to get Alan in the Guinness Book of World Records. Mm -hmm. They're working at that. But I understand the paperwork for that is, is staggering, the amount of, of uh, work that has to be done to get them to, not, to accept your record. Uh, it's not easy, so, but uh, they're working on it. Oh, wonderful. And who do you have for your lo loser this week? Well, my loser, I hate to get into this topic again, but it's, it's the women of Iowa. I think with this legislation that was passed this week in the State House, and uh, it's in the abortion thing, and it's going to involve another long court battle. It probably will go all the way to the Supreme Court and this sort of thing. And the thing that gets me is that the polls are taking 60 to 70 percent of people in Iowa are not in favor of this strict of a law. And 70% of the women are not in favor of this strict law. And I always thought, uh, you got to take all the girls from 12 to 100 and let them vote about different abortion laws and keep the old men out of it because uh, the one old guy, and they showed him on the national news today, this legislator, he said, yes, as well, uh, if they don't want to have babies, they shouldn't have sex. And I said, well, okay, that's <laughs> the whole advertising world is bent on selling sex to people. I mean, that's how they sell everything from cars to Coca-Cola. And uh, so I don't think that was a very good idea, but that's what made the national news. And so, uh, but anyway, I, I, I feel bad for the, for the women who are uh, being put at risk, I think, in many, many ways. And so that's my loser is that law that they passed uh, on Tuesday that's going to be signed on Friday. And this isn't far from yours. My loser is our country's lack of being able to accept other people's discourse. And, yeah. and we, we don't seem to have the ability anymore to listen to people's arguments yeah. and, and accept those arguments. We want to argue back and yell over top yeah. of people. And, and you can't be convinced. And no one can say, okay, look at the evidence here. And, and then the other guy says, oh, yeah, I see that you're right. Well, that never happens. You know, it doesn't matter how much evidence you have, they never agree that they're wrong. And I know from experience that that's the worst feeling in the world, that feeling you get in the pit of your stomach when you realize in the middle of an argument that, that you are wrong and the other guy is right. right. And you sometimes say, okay, I'm with you, buddy. You know, you've yeah. convinced me, but uh, uh, I know I've, I've had those feelings many times where you right in the middle of it, you think, oh, yeah. They're right, you know. I'm I'm on the wrong side of this. So. I, have a, I have a great story with this. Uh, during COVID, I went to Taco John over in Waterloo. Mm -hmm. And because of COVID, they removed their garbage cans outside Taco John. Mm -hmm. And I ate my tacos in my vehicle and looked for garbage outside of Taco John's, and there was no garbage. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, there was a hotel close by with a garbage can. And so I took my garbage and I walked my garbage over there and stuffed it in that garbage barrel. And as I was walking away, the manager came out and said, that's not our garbage. You just threw your garbage in our garbage barrel. Why'd you do that? And I turned to him and I said, you're right. And about knocked him down because <laughs> he was so right. Yeah. You know, they, they, they say, and I'm not calling myself a genius. Please don't take this wrong. Far from it. But they say a person that has the ability to change their mind is maybe maybe one of the smartest people in the world. Yeah. Why can't we elect any of them? Yeah. To, um, yeah. yeah. No, I always I always have great respect for Don Quackenbush, and I've learned we're in several church meetings over the over the last forty some years, and I've learned to, to listen to her first because every time I jump right in with my solid rock solid opinion, and she said yes, but, and then she had I said oh yeah, that sounds a lot better than what I said. So I've learned just to let her talk first before I say anything. So, uh, but I have great respect for her and her opinion. She really thinks things through. So uh, cool. All right. Uh, so Dale, Dale has an update on one of the things he talked about a couple of weeks ago. Okay, well, I talked about the Declaration of Independence and Jefferson writing this 138-word paragraph about slavery and how uh, in the uh, editing process, as it went through the, the, all the delegates, all of that except for a few words was taken out. And so I was talking about how Jefferson as a slave owner was writing about the evils of slavery and this sort of thing. Well, it's interesting how these things come up, but... Uh, that came out on July the 3rd. Well, July the 3rd, there's an article in The Courier, an editorial written by a man, uh, Mr. Holton, who was a professor of history at the University of South Carolina. And he talked about that paragraph, and I was completely out of whack with it. And so I'm going to read a lot of it to you. It won't take too long, but just to make sure I get it right. American independence is due in part to African Americans. Like the U.S. Constitution, the final version of the Declaration never uses the word slave, but African Americans loomed large in the first draft written by Thomas Jefferson. In that early draft, Jefferson's single biggest grievance was that the mother country had first foisted enslaved Africans on white Americans and then attempted to incite them against their patriot owners. In an objection to which he gave 168 words, three times as many as any other complaint, Jefferson said King George III had encouraged enslaved Americans to purchase that liberty of which he has deprived them by murdering the people upon whom he, he also obtruded them. And what he's saying is, is that the English brought slaves to North America. And so as this revolt was starting, King George was telling the slaves, if you rise up and get across the lines and join our army to help us kill the patriots, then we will give you freedom when this war is over. Well, the southern slave owners, the, their worst fear was that the slaves would revolt because there were more slaves than there were white people. And so uh, that was one of their worst fears. And the king, and we say the king, it's really the government of England, is encouraging the African Americans, the slaves, to, uh, to revolt and murder the white southerners. Uh, so they were putting a dagger uh, to the throats of the patriots through the hands of the slaves. Uh, Britain really had forged an informal alliance with African Americans, but it was the slaves who initiated it. In November 1774, James Madison became the first white American to report that slaves were plotting to take advantage of divisions between the colonies and the mother country to rebel and obtain their own freedom. 
Initially, the British turned down African-Americans' offer to fight for their king, but the slaves kept coming, and on November 15, 1775, Lord Dunmore, the last British governor of Virginia, finally published an Emancipation Proclamation. It freed all rebel or patriot-owned slaves who could reach his lines and would fight to, supp to, supp to suppress the Patriot Rebellion. And so the Second Continental Congress was talking about Dunmore and other British officials when it claimed in the final draft of the Declaration that George III had ex excited domestic insurrection amongst us. And they were talking about the slaves, though they never used the word slaves. That brief euphorism was all that remained of Jefferson's 168-word diatribe against the British for sending Africans to America and then inciting them to kill their owners. But no one missed its meaning. And so that caused me to look up other slave rebellions. And probably the one we're most familiar with is the, uh, in ancient Rome, the Spartacus uh, rebellion, where uh, ended up with a, a slave army of 120,000 people and uh, who rose up and they had to take seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, uh, Roman legions to subdue them after they broke into factions when they got to arguing. I believe that and war was two years long. It was quite a long time. It was 73 B.C. Mm -hmm. And out of 120,000, there were 6,000. They say, like in the movie, Kirk Douglas is crucified at the end, but in, they say in reality he was killed during the last battle. But the 6,000 survivors were crucified. They were on those crosses all up and down that road as a warning against slaves. But uh, the Romans, like all slave-owning people, uh, were scared to death. We had in America in 1831, the Nat Turner Rebellion, where uh, he and his followers, and that turns a very smart man, he and his followers ended up killing the people that owned them and then started marching down the road and acquiring more help as they went along. And the hysteria, uh, huge mobs of white people came and started grabbing uh, black slaves and killing them. And so more than 200 slaves were killed, whether they were part of the rebellion or not, because the, the hysteria swept through uh, Virginia. And one of the things that happened because of that is that laws in many of the southern states were passed making it illegal to teach uh, slaves how to read and write because that way they could not communicate with slaves in other colonies and this sort of thing and start grouping things together. And so that's where that came from. Uh, there was one called the Zanzi Rebellion, which is in Africa. East Africans were captured by people, uh, Arab-speaking Arab -speaking people, and turned into slaves in Africa. And so there was a... Uh, a rebellion there in 869 A.D. Uh, so it's not just uh, a white against black problem, but it's just people in general enslaving other people. And then um, in Haiti, uh, this was in 1791, the slaves rebelled, and uh, they fought so hard that France finally, which owned Haiti at that time, uh, outlawed slavery in Haiti. So they were the first ones to really get something done because of their rebellion. And, it was uh, the leader Toussaint L'Overture. That sounds right, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, I can't say those French words, yeah. so I just eliminate them from my report. So anyway, the Declaration of Independence spoke a lot about slavery, but mainly what, and it was all wiped out, of course, but the main problem they had was that the English government had allowed slaves to be sent to the colonies, and now that same government was trying to incite those slaves to rebel and kill the white people that they were sold to. And so uh, that's what got them all excited in the Declaration. So I just yeah. wanted to make that. That was interesting how I talked about that. And then in a day or so, there was this article that said, oh, 
here's much more information than I had. So uh, that's what that's what makes America great is a, a newspaper. Let so, me add to this. Yeah. I I heard a report on this shortly after the Fourth of July. I believe the the first draft of this came out in May of. 1776, the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, because um, the, they would have needed more than one day, you know, to right. go through it. Yeah. So, and I don't, I don't have the dates uh, in my head now, but it was a, a process. Yeah. Like always, and actually, uh, it, the date could have been July 3rd, mm-hmm. and they did, but they picked July 4th for some reason or another, and it was weeks after that before everybody signed it, and so, uh, and I still know how they printed the darn thing. No. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. All right. Well, thank you, Dale. No, it's all right. This is the Steve Brown Arts Center Podcast Network, and we're at Cowork 591 Studios. The uh, next segment is from a writing I did Wednesday, September 1st, 2010. So this is a little older. It's called The Captain Turns 50. It's on my blog, My Life in the Amish Air Force. It was... The, fir- the first year that I blogged. Okay. I will, I will read this to you verbatim. These are my words. Wow, I turned 50 this year. For those of you that do not know when my birthday is, it is February 30th. So make sure, <laughs> make sure when you send the cards out, send them February 30th, okay. please. Um, drop me a card that day if you would. Anyhow, I was feeling a little sorry for myself when, when I remembered a book I had read where a guy also turned 50, and he enlisted 50 things he did. I think that was from a book written by Jimmy Buffett. Okay. Okay. Um, they, they are not as glamorous as Jimmy's, but for a guy that grew up in a small town in Iowa, I'm very proud of them, and I do not have anyone um, posting on my blog uh, or have anyone postings on my blogs. Jun- jump in. What are some things that you would put? So, like, if you get a chance, write down your... I wrote... I have 25 today. Mm-hmm. I'd, li- I'd like to see you write... Email me your top 10 or text me your top 10. So, like, uh, Andrea in Kansas, send us your top 10. Or Jason in Cedar Falls, send us your top 10. We'd like to see these. Here are mine. Many of you were were with me on some of these adventures, so enjoy this. I've eaten watermelon and fried chicken in the hills of West Virginia. I've met the Speaker of the House in Dublin. I coached the Iverian National Women's Basketball Team in the Ivory Coast. I've been to Lenin's tomb in Moscow. I've been to the Kremlin in Moscow. I was one of the assistants on the Irish National Basketball Team in Malta. I was lost in the coffee fields of Costa Rica. I've been to the National Park in Belize. Uh, The National Park in Belize is in the Caribbean, by the way. I was in El Salvador during the Civil War. I was in Guatemala during a national strike. I've been to the Eiffel Tower in Paris. I've seen a Nazi death camp in Belgium. I was at at the cemetery in Clonmacnoise outside of Athlone, Ireland. I saw Barack Obama in Cedar Falls. I've been to Gorbachev's house with Nick Donnelly in Moscow. I've watched Lou Brock steal second in St. Louis. I've watched Rod Crew chase 400 in the Twin Cities. 
I saw Thurman Munson the week before he was killed in he wasn't in Minneapolis. He wasn't killed in Minneapolis. I believe his plane crashed in New York City or in Newark, one of the one of those air, air forces airports there. I've been to the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, Tennessee. I've walked in the Pines and the Rocky Mountains. I was offered a job on the Navajo Nation in New Mexico. I flew with Billy Tubbs from Oklahoma City. I saw the national basketball champion in the Iowa Fieldhouse. I was robbed in Nicaragua. And I saw President Reagan in Cedar Rapids. Mm-hmm. So those are our 25 things that uh, I was fortunate enough to do in the first 50 years of my life. I remember when you made the trip to Costa Rica. I don't know. I remember talking with you about yeah, that before yeah. you went. And so Yeah, that was back uh, in 90. Was that 90? I, mean, I knew uh, it was a long time ago. Eight, so, uh, 80, 89, actually. Okay. And uh, stomach problems. I, <laughs> I did. I tell you. If That's you, what I remember. Was it? If you, uh, I had stomach problems in Costa Rica. So. But if you want to uh, lose weight, get a parasite. Yeah. Well, it works well. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good advice. Yeah, yeah. So this is the uh, Steve Brown Art Center Podcast Network, and we're at Cowork Co- 591 Studios. This week at Cowork 591, Franny's Street Eats are here Monday from 11 to 2. That's today as this comes <coughs> out on Monday. Tomorrow. Do you remember the cartoon in the Playboy magazine? It was uh, a Fanny something. I was always in the back, but it was very humorous. Okay, okay. never mind. All right, but all right. Um, I always get Fanny and Franny. Fanny and Franny. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, Wiley Coyote Grills here Tuesday from 11 to 6. And the Bowls of Love are here from 11 until 1.30 on Wednesday. So stop by Cowork 591 Studios. Also come in and talk to Kelly about getting a membership here if you, if you can, please. This is the Steve Brown Art Center Podcast Network. We're here at Cowork 591 Studios, and our guest this week is Boston native Mike Farrell. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Uh, Mike, uh, how long have you you and your family been here in Jessup? Uh, I've been coming to Jessup. met my wife in 2000. I've been coming to Jessup uh, twice a year since then. We're right around that area. And um, in 2017, we bought a house out uh, almost uh, in the, uh, the edge of uh, Jessup in 2017, November. And we were trying to have my son graduate from <clears throat> eighth grade so he would start fresh in high school. So we moved here the 4th of July of 2018. Okay. Mm-hmm. And wh- tell us about your family. Sort of do a shout out to the family here. Give the- uh, how big is it? So I have four children. Um, my wife and I, Barbara, uh, Kester. Um, uh, uh, we had uh, two boys, and in, in uh, my prior marriage, I had two girls. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a daughter who is 29. Uh, she lives in Portland, Maine. Uh, she's a biochemist, uh, and she works uh, developing uh, test materials for... A, um, an animal. So if you have like a Lyme disease in a dog, she works on uh, developing test materials for that. Mm. I have a second daughter who's 27. Um, she lives in Buffalo. I uh, just found out this morning she, was get, she got engaged uh, by uh, 
text message. <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, got the, the picture of the finger with a rock on it and mm-hmm. said, guess what, Dad? Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay. So uh, she is a, uh, an occupational therapist. Um, I have a son with my uh, wife, Barbara, who is, uh, his name is Ian. Many people here in town know who Ian is. He's kind of hard not to know. Um, he's a, a sophomore now down at the University of Iowa. He would like to be a mathematician. And then uh, I have another son by the name of AJ. Uh, and AJ is a, um, a basement engineer. He works on his thumbs a lot with remote controls. <laughs> so uh, that is the family. My beautiful and intelligent wife, Barbara, like I said, former Kester, uh, family pretty well known in town. Uh, uh, we got married in uh, 2003 mm-hmm. and uh, lived in Maine for a little while and uh, moved out here, like I said, in 18. Okay. Um, we met two years ago when, when at your, your pizza business at Farmer's Day, and we, we, we re-met here again this year at Farmer's Day, and I thought about, or it'd be great to, great to get you on StoryCorps, and of course, um, the StoryCorps interview um, was lost um, because of my ear. Um, but, but I thought, well, we can get him on a better interview this time, so... Um, the, but the thing that, that I, I, that gives me so much respect for you, Mike, is you're, you're involved with service, you were, you were in the military, you're involved with your church. One of the things you're doing with the pizza is, uh, with a, with a priest in, in Africa, and that's one of, one of the things I want, I want to talk to you about, but, uh. I guess let's start with your military service. Tell us about your military service. So uh, as we talked on uh, Friday, I think it was, or Saturday, I was, uh, <clears throat> I was a uh, troubled youth from Boston. And um, uh, I think we talked about this as well. I, I, I find that young minds are going to be active, right? And if they don't have something constructive to be active with, they're going to be destructive. And in Boston, you can get destructive in a hurry. So I was, uh, I think it was around 15, 16 years old, and uh, I got in trouble with the law, and um, uh, and and I, I went through the court system and uh, uh, realized that that was probably not a good career choice. And and uh, well, not only getting involved with the law, I uh, I dropped out of high school. And uh, when I dropped out of high school, um, I, I really uh, kind of thought about what, what's next. You know, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I did have a, uh, um, a major influence in my life. My, my, let me back up a little bit. My dad was not in my life at all. Um, I had a, um, a stepdad who was present but was not involved with me as well. So thus the trouble with the law. When I got in trouble with the law, I met up with a very, very strict former Marine probation officer who 
let me know behind closed doors that there was a different way of life and I was going to start leading it. And um, so I, I had gone home and, uh, you know, talked to my mother and we were watching TV one night. There was a 2020 special came on and uh, it was about uh, uh, this army unit teaching El Salvadorian rebels about military procedures. And I kind of looked at my mother and I said, you know, Mom, I think that's what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to go in the military. And she looked at me like I had three heads and, you know, well, why? Uh, I said, well, I, I don't really have a direction in life, and I think I'm going to need one. So uh, actually went in and swore myself in, uh, into the military on her birthday in uh, October of 1982. I don't want to monopolize the conversation at all, but uh, uh, I went into uh, the infamous 82nd Airborne Division, and I had no clue what I was signing up for. I just knew that they were on TV, and I wanted to be a part of it. <laughs> so did you have to go to El Salvador? Uh, I'd been to a lot of places mm -hmm. with the military. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, some places, you know, obviously, uh, you know, uh, you can talk about and some you can't. Yeah. Um, I've been to Egypt. I've uh, been to Italy. I've been to all parts of the United States. I've been to Panama. Uh, 11 countries I've been to. Yeah. It was a very, very interesting time uh -huh. uh, for me. I went in as a... Uh, uh, kind of a bigoted youth uh, in Boston. And the time that I grew up in, there was what was called forced busing. Okay, I was going to ask about that. So Yeah, okay. sure. In its early days of my life, uh, uh, when I was going to school, uh, we, were, we had all white classes. And, uh, and I went to Catholic school. So I was in a private school. But just down the bottom of the hill of where I lived was a school called the Woodrow Wilson Junior High School, and it was all white. I lived in what we called the Irish Catholic stronghold of Dorchester, Massachusetts, which is a uh, not a suburb, but uh, more of a kind of a, a pocket, shall we say, of Boston. And mm -hmm. Boston was very divided. You had your Italians, you had your Irish, you had your black folks, you had your... Lithuanian, your Eastern Europeans, and they were all different parts of Boston. And um, I want to say it was probably around 74. Uh, I think I was about 10 years old. A judge, oh, I forget his last name, but anyways, he came up with um, a ruling that said that they were going to take kids from a black neighborhood and put them in white neighborhoods mm -hmm. and take that. white kids and put them in black neighborhoods yeah. to trying to desegregate the city. And uh, it was very dangerous at mm -hmm. the time. And so um, fast forward to going into the military, I was very disillusioned with uh, uh, race, mm -hmm. shall we say. Mm -hmm. um, and I was bigoted, for sure. When I joined in 1982, I got to learn that you know, no matter who you were, um, we were all the same, right? Uh, we went in the military, they shaved your head, they took all your clothes away, they took everything that was a different color away, they took all of your independence away, shall we say, mm -hmm. and they made you all be green. Yeah. 
Wait, yeah, light green and dark green. There you go. Much. Yes. Right. <laughs> and um, and that green color, you come to hate it and come to love it, but uh, you realize that the guy next to you, no matter who he was, black, brown, yellow, whatever, he was going to be your brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was a it was a time for me to understand that uh, it was really confusing. Mm-hmm. So with that, um, I went into basic training in '82. Uh, went to airborne school in January of '83, and no matter how South Georgia is, it still gets real cold, mm-hmm. real wet, and it was miserable. Funny story I told the gym on Friday was uh, I had no idea what the 82nd Airborne was. <laughs> okay, I can see this could be interesting then, yeah. So I was in the middle of uh, basic training in uh, that Fort Benning, Georgia, and there's a Air Force base nearby. I forget the name of it. And uh, we were doing whatever. We were pushing down daisies and... Uh, we were doing a lot of calisthenics, and uh, I forget why we were doing so many that day, but we, had, we were in a what we, they call the front leaning rest position, and the C-130s were going overhead, and I kind of looked up at that, and my drill sergeant said, gentlemen, you will be on one of those in 16 weeks, and I thought, where am I going? <laughs> and I said that, <laughs> and he more or less gave me a little shove from behind and told me that I would be going to a drop zone and jumping out of that plane. So you'll be going down then. I would yes. be going down. Yes. And I, much to my fear, I had never been in a plane. Uh, the only time I'd been in the plane was going to basic training. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I found out I was going to be jumping out of the plane. I went through airborne school. Uh, I had a little break a couple weeks, and then I was assigned to division, 82nd Airborne in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. You, you talked about, uh, we talked about this on Saturday. How many jumps did you make total, Mike? I made 77. Remarkable. That's a lot. That's you? a lot of jumps. I think you jump back to Boston. The movie Good Will Hunting, did you see that, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck? Yes. Okay, and what do you think of that as far as the time, when you know, the first at the beginning of where they're just running around Boston getting in fights and everything? Do you think that's realistic at the, for the time? or? Well, I think it's very realistic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I think that uh, there's a lot of bravado. Mm-hmm. Still is, right? Uh, you had your ethnic groups that were kind of together. They weren't gangs, so to speak, but you had your kind of streets or your corners or whatever. Yeah. And uh, uh, Boston has a lot of parks, so you would hang out at one park and then you would make mischief at mm-hmm. another park. Yeah. Right. So. so yeah, that was pretty common. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just thought that was, I don't know, a very interesting movie, and it how it portrayed Boston. You know, with the kids are getting in mm-hmm. trouble, but also then you had the people at MIT at the other end, kind of, and so, which is kind of interesting to me. And so, but I, I, I think it's a very good movie. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. we always had a sport, no matter what season it was. There was a sport to be played, mm-hmm. right? And uh, there was never go into the basement and play pong or whatever. Yeah. We were, you know, get outside, mm-hmm. right? That's what the parents said: get outside and play. And so, on my street alone. There were probably 
25 to 30 kids that were my age, and there was probably 600 kids in two streets. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we always had our own hockey team, and we always had our own football team. We always had our own baseball team. Well, you would go and challenge another park's mm-hmm. baseball team, and inevitably it would end up in some sort of a fight at yeah. the end. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Goodwill hunting is a pretty accurate okay. portrayal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Boston, because of the busing and stuff, Boston was seen as uh, a fairly racist city in the late 60s, early 70s, you know, uh, as uh, late as when you moved. They, they still talk about it being racist. Would you, would you say it is, or is that just a, a, a myth that carries over? There, there is still, uh, I, I would tell you, I think that there is still some racism. Okay, was it as bad as when I grew up? No, no. Uh, you, I mean, it would be, there would be some very colorful names and they would be used frequently face to face, right? Thus, the fighting and so sure. on and so yeah. forth. I go back periodically because of my job and my parents and my family still live out there, but I don't, I don't hear it nor do I see it much. Uh, I'm sure it's in the shadows somewhere, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't, I don't hear it or see it like I did when I was growing up. Yeah. Well, well, Mike, let, let's let's swing uh, a little bit and talk about um, Mickey D's. There, you were raising money for a priest in was it in Ghana? Ghana? In yeah. Ghana. Tell us about that a little bit. So I think it's really important to give back. Uh, I've been I've been a recipient of some givebacks myself in my life, and uh, uh, you know the old pay it forward, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's important to have um, that attitude or that uh, desire to give to my children. So back in the day, when I was back in Boston, I was 10, 11 years old, trying to stay out of trouble. Um, down on every corner, we talked about corners, but on every corner in Boston had either a tavern or a convenience store. Well, mine had a uh, uh, kind of like a mini strip mall before a strip mall. There was a pizza shop. There was a, uh, we call it a packy, but a package store. There was a local pharmacy, um, and there was a place that uh, was like the local newsstand. And so I would go down to the bottom of the corner and, uh, and hang around the pizza shop. And uh, so the Italian fellow who was running the shop, he kind of shoo me out of there here and there. And then finally I was like, uh, you know, a fine weed. And uh, he, he decided to let me in and sweep the floors. And then I could bring in the boxes mm-hmm. and whatever. And he showed me how to make pizza. I think I was about 13 or so. And so I was making pizza and... Um, and, and, you know, I moved on, went into the service, and, and uh, got out of the service, and I wanted to move to Maine. And uh, we had always gone up there when I was a kid. Uh, and so I wanted to move to Maine, and what I did for a living at that time, I was told, you can't, you can't make a living up here in Maine doing that. So um, I thought about it, and I bought a pizza oven, and I renovated a building, and I started making pizza. And so when I got to Iowa, my sister-in-law, uh, Jeanette Kesta, 
um, she uh, was involved with this uh, Irish Fest. I had always brought Maine lobster out with me every time I came and made lobster rolls. And uh, she, she was pretty insistent on me uh, bringing lobster rolls to the middle of Iowa, which I thought was crazy. So I, I, I agreed one year to uh, make lobster out here and pizza. I thought, I got to, I mean, I'm not going to sell a lot of lobster rolls, so what else could I sell? Pizza. So I bought a pizza out. And, uh, and my son, Ian, uh, he, is a, uh, he is quite an interesting fella. Uh, he's a very big-hearted uh, kid with, with a, lot of, uh, a lot of desire to give back. And so um, I said to Ian, the money that we raise, we need to start giving this to a cause. And uh, he kind of looked at me, and he's like, why? You know, why would we go to work and give the money away? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, sometimes people need things, and, and we need to do that. And so anyways, uh, we started giving the money away. We've given money to veterans programs. We've given money to St. A's. Uh, we have donated it all, all around the community. And so uh, there was a visiting priest from Ghana this year at St. A's. And um, Ian said to me, you know, Dad, I think, I think we want to give the money this year to the priest because apparently he had had a sermon in which he had talked about gardening or hoeing or whatever they were doing their land. And they, they didn't have a tractor. And so they were doing uh, farming with a hoe in many, many, many acres. And he said, well, why don't we take our proceeds and give it to the priest? And I said, okay. Well, that's what we did. So we raised some money, and we're going to send it off to Ghana so, so they, can, uh, they can have a, a, a tractor or mm-hmm. someday have a tractor. Uh, that's, that's neat. Well, I had some of your pizza. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it was you, but someone brought a large one over to the pavilion to give to Alan Wright. That's correct. And he shared it with me yeah. and a couple other people because it's a giant pizza. And I was, it has, it has, I don't want to say a flexible crust, but it's not a, a hard crust like some, is that, was that on purpose or ours, that's just the way ours way was a, like a hamburger pizza? So uh, I asked Alan uh, because I, I think Alan's fabulous. He lives across the street from my mother-in-law. Oh, okay. And I've known Alan for a long time. And so I think what Alan does for Farmer's Day is, is the ultimate give back. Uh, last year, we did the same thing when we were there. And I mm-hmm. said, Alan, tell me what kind of pizza you like. And he said, well, I like a cheeseburger and something else. I couldn't remember what it was. And I said, oh, okay. Well, we'll be bringing one over to you. So Ian was going back and forth yeah. every couple of hours and saying, Alan, are you ready for the pizza? No, 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 no. <laughs> he will never say, yeah, okay, go ahead. But, so, yeah, yeah, so we uh, we put that pizza through the oven, and it's a hand-tossed pizza. It's oh, okay. not, we roll it out with a big metal pin, mm-hmm. and uh, we toss it, we stretch it out and hand-toss it in the air, and, and then, yeah, we put it on a screen and in an oven. And Yeah. No, it was very good. Thank it you. Everybody, I think three or four of us ended up having a piece, and it was really very good, so. Thank you. Mike... Let's let's transform to uh, your, your professions, your job, and you've got a couple jobs actually, <laughs> uh, at least. Um, 
T tell us about those. Okay, so I can bring you back to the day when I uh, first got involved with my profession right now. And Alan, uh, I, I told you I was involved with the police, right? So it was a group of five or six boys, and we all were doing some things that weren't correct. We'll leave it at that. And uh, we all got arrested. All but two of us got arrested, and, and two of the boys didn't get arrested. So Fastest runners. Well, I was the fastest oh, runner. Oh, okay. But <laughs> they got you anyway. They got me anyway. All right. That's right. Um, so uh, went to went to the police station. My mother came up. She got me and brought me home. And then we all had this meeting at the court. Um, I was fortunate that my uncle was a Boston police detective. I think I told you this. Pretty much all of my family are police this and police that. Well, anyways, uh, one of the boys that didn't get caught, his mother was very afraid because he was quite a studious type of kid and was going to, going to go to college oh. and what have you. So she approached my mother and said, hey, you know, if, you, if, if Mike doesn't tell on my son, I won't say what his name was, but if he doesn't tell on my son, we'll get him a job oh. sanding wood floors. My <laughs> mother's like, well, you got a strong back and a weak mind, Michael. Yeah. You're going to go sand some <laughs> floors. So off I went. Yeah, I sanded floors for some years, and I think it, it was from 13 to the day I went into the military. And then when I was down in North Carolina, uh, in order for me to get home, uh, it was quite a pricey little plane ticket, and you didn't get paid a lot uh, in the military. I think my paycheck a month was like $680 and $100 or so for a jump pay or something like that. It wasn't a lot of money, and plane ticket was four or $500. So in order for me to get home, I would have to sand floors, not only in North Carolina where I was stationed, but when I come home on the weekend uh, to see my girlfriend or whoever. And so I would sand floors, and then when I got out of the military... Um, I decided I wanted to go to college, uh, and then, uh, well, I wasn't scholastically sound, so I didn't get into the college of my choice, and I started seeing floors because I needed to pay for my place and eat, right? So seeing the floors for a little while and realized that I could make a heck of a lot more money seeing the floors than I'd ever being something else. Yeah. So I seen the floors for a little while, and... Uh, uh, a company that manufactures some products came calling, put an ad in, in a paper or a trade magazine, and I responded to the ad and uh, had to move to Maryland to uh, take the job, which I did. I got uh, promoted a couple of times, and then uh, uh, another company came calling, and I went to work for them. I've been with them now 20 years, and I am now a, uh, a director of uh, U.S. sales uh, for this company. Um, and uh, I have many employees that work for me. And uh, I generally go to Eastern Iowa Airport on Monday and mm -hmm. come back on Thursday every okay. week. Yeah. And I'm anywhere. I could be in Canada. I could be in Mexico. Anywhere in the United States on any given day. I could go from New York to California in the same week. Mm -hmm. I'm all over the country. Yeah. My first thought was guys on their hands and knees, you know, with oh, a brick yeah. or something, but I'm sure you have the sanding machines and this sort of thing that you use. But, That's correct. But you we, still got to get in the corners, though, don't you? You do. Yeah. So we, we are the world's largest manufacturer of floor sanding equipment, and uh, that's not the only thing that we do. Mm -hmm. 
We make anything that has to do with commercial cleaning, uh, anything that has to do with a, a, a floor. Okay. We, we make chemicals, we make machines, uh, we make deodorizers and all, all of such. So it's a very large business, then, I'm sure. Uh, yes, yeah. uh, very, very large. It's, mm -hmm. it, I, I tend to say it is the biggest, uh, smallest, biggest billion-dollar company you never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is the name of that company? We are a company. Our company's name is Amano Pioneer Eclipse. It wouldn't be like Al's Floors or something, you know. <laughs> no. Just, yeah. So. Not that easy. No. 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 <laughs> not that easy. No. I'm sorry. Say the name again. Amano Pioneer Eclipse. Okay. Okay. I would not tell you that it was about floors, then, would it? No. Uh, yeah. No, that's right. Okay. So, like I said, it's the biggest, yeah. smallest mm -hmm. company, billion-dollar company you've never heard of. And where is that headquartered out of? So, Amano is a Japanese holding company. And what a, you know, you're starting to see more and more of this mm -hmm. holding companies buying other interests. So Amano is a Japanese holding company, and they own uh, not only Pioneer Eclipse or my company, American Sanders, but they own uh, parking lots near airports. They own the gates that go up and down for the parking lots. They own a company that makes time clocks. They own a company that can test your body temperature if you walk through, did you see the movie Total, Total Recall? Yeah. That thing that Arnold Schwarzenegger walked through, we make those too. Mm. Like little see through your body, take your temperature. And they, make, they own a bunch of stuff all over the world. So, you know, it's a fascinating little company. Yeah. Yeah. And you can work for them living in Jessup. That's, that's amazing. Isn't of it? all places, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And, and you know what's really funny is when I'm flying, I know that I'm at my gate because it's all black and gold. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, and and so then uh, you also sand floors on the weekends with your sons. That is correct. So <clears throat> there is a rule in my house that uh, you have to do two things in, in in growing up in my house. You must play hockey, mm. and you must sand floor. So my 29 year old daughter, who is five foot nothing and 105 pounds, sands and can install floors with the most experienced guys in the world. And all the way down to my son AJ, who is the basement engineer, he does it too. Reluctantly, but they all do it. Yeah. How old is he? AJ, 16. 16, okay. So every weekend when we come home, not every weekend, but most weekends, when we come home, you know, it's, oh, Dad. Uh. <laughs> but I can proudly tell you that my kids are not afraid of hard work. Yeah. No, I, I had Ian in class. Uh, oh, yeah. he, he doesn't fear hard work. And like you said earlier, he is he's a person that uh, um, cares for other people. He has empathy for other people. That's the thing I hear the older generation complain the most about is that kids today don't know how to work. Oh, you, yeah. and you hear that all the time. And so, uh, again, I'm not around the kids today, but it, that's the complaint that I hear. So I don't know if it's true or not, but it's I know it's it's a different world than when we were growing up. Sure. There was a lot of hard work to do. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. little side note, when we first got to Jessup, I was just fearful that my son would not be able to assimilate because he was the first born uh, and he was going into ninth grade. And so uh, one special talent that pretty much everybody that graduated with Ian last year knows is that Ian uh, studies and rehearses numbers of pi. So he was walking by a classroom. I think he was in ninth grade. He was 
probably two weeks and three weeks into school and and uh, somebody might have heard or had heard that Ian did this kind of little mm -hmm. thing about pi numbers and they grabbed him he was walking in the hallway one of the teachers grabbed him into the class and said hey Ian can you give our math class a little can you just give us I don't know as many numbers as you can on pi and he started to rattle off and he went up to, I guess, 100 numbers, and the kids were kind of dumbfounded. Yeah. And that was kind of Ian's introduction sure, to Jessup yeah. High School. And, and so uh, I think he did 2,000 numbers last year. Oh, my. And uh, his goal, I don't know if he'll ever get there, but his goal is a million. He's got a book that's about as thick as a Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> and he recites whatever. I don't even know how many, but he did. 2000 last year. The, the, I, he, I find it amazing, yes. I, yeah. Yep. Uh, so, so um, Mike, at the, from Boston to just, obviously Boston presents a lot more options of things to do, and Jessup's pretty laid back and, and sheltered. Um, what, draws you, what draws you to Jessup? What, what do you see the highlights of Jessup? So... Uh, my job uh, obviously brings me to Boston, New York, Washington, Philly, Detroit, Chicago, you name it, I've been there, Washington, D.C., whatever. I deal with hectic daily. I travel anywhere from 120 to 150 nights a year. I'm in a hotel room somewhere in the country. Prior to moving to Jessup, we lived in Maine in the woods, um, and and. I wanted a stable and a quiet family-type atmosphere for my family and because I'm gone so much, mm -hmm. right? So I made the silly suggestion to my wife back in 2015 or 16. I said, you can live anywhere in the country, wherever you want, dear. And she said, and I knew the answer, <laughs> I want to move to Jessup. And I said, oh, God. <laughs> Um, I, I, it has a lot of value, um, uh, family values. I mean, I, I live on the outskirts, as I told you, just off of Indian Creek. Um, it's very similar to Maine, upstate Maine. You wave to everybody. Uh, people are very friendly. Um, uh, it's a very safe environment, which is what was most important to me, not being home at night while I'm on the road. Mm -hmm. Um, it made my wife happy, and there is something to happy wife, happy oh, yeah, life, oh, right? Yeah. Um, and it was convenient to her. She goes to work over at Hawkeye Community College. Uh, it was kind of nice that uh, we were right here in town near, um, you know, um, just a nice little small town. I was always enamored with Farmer's Day. I thought it was really funny. I have so many stories I can tell you about the differences between Chesapeake and, and Boston. <laughs> but uh, I remember one of my early visits to Jessup. my wife said to me, you know, I would really like you to come see the 4th of July fireworks with me. And I said, seriously, you do know where I'm from, right? Yeah. So she brought me down to, I don't even know, the park, the soccer field, I guess, or something like that. And we watched a couple bottle rockets go up in the air, maybe a few Roman candles, and I said, whoa, this is exciting, dear. 
And then the following year, I took her to the Boston Common. We watched yeah. Toby Keith and the fireworks there, yeah. and it was earth moving. It really was that loud, and we kind of joke about it now. But it it is uh, what is really attractive for me in Jessup is it it is uh, it is still it brings back memories of my youth. It, the old days where you know it, it was safer. It was uh, a great place to to live. Another thing, moving from uh, a bigger place to a smaller place, I had a fear that my, my children, uh, Ian and AJ, would not assimilate well. And one of the things about AJ is he, had, uh, he was born with a birth defect. It's called Pierre-Robin syndrome. It's a combination of a cleft palate and your chin is born back here. So your mm. tongue acts as a flapper and cuts off your earway. Okay. So AJ had to have an emergency uh, tracheotomy um, five days into his life. And so he had a, what looked like a barrel, like, uh, you know, the St. Bernard's with those barrels. Mm-hmm. He looked like he had a barrel on his, on his neck. And so for the first couple of years of his life, our vocal cords grow nat- naturally, and we can talk just fine. Mm-hmm. Well, AJ... Um, his vocal cords did not grow. And so um, he has um, a mild speech impediment, and we all know how uh, kids can be. Sure. And that was my fear. My fear was my son, who is a really smart kid, Ian, uh, uh, and, and sometimes is a little awkward, and uh, AJ with his speech uh, problem, I thought that they might be kind of cast out. And I can tell you, I, I could not be more pleased with uh, Jessup High School, the teachers, the kids of this town. Uh, they treated my boys with respect and uh, embraced them. Oh, good. Well, well, Mike, we appreciate you coming in tonight. Thank you so much. Is there anything we, we didn't talk about that you'd like to talk about? Not really. I'll leave you with one other story. Okay, and I, I always, uh, my wife, I'm always picking on her. So uh, we were dating uh, when 9-11 happened. And, uh, this is in Boston, you're out East Coast yet? Or? Uh, she, my wife was in Denver. Okay. I was working for a different company okay. at the time. And, uh, and I was in Boston, actually I was in Maine. I was gonna be on my way to Boston, so planes hit the towers, whatever, they came down. And um, <clears throat> I had, my wife had always wanted to go out and see the 9-11 site. So we did. We went out. We went to New York, and I brought her to the 9-11 site. And this is what is so genuine for me about Jessup, Iowa. Um, we're walking around in New York, and my wife is just swinging her arms and saying hello to everybody, <laughs> and her purse is swinging around. And I stopped, and I said, dear... You need to hold on to your purse, you need to look at the ground, and you need not say hello to anybody. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I said, it's not just a Bible. So it's a great town. It really is. Lots of great people. Thank you, Mike. Thank you very much. Thank you both yeah. for your time. Yeah. This week's obituaries are sent to us by... White's Funeral Home at 1315 Main Street in Jessup, Iowa. We have one obituary. Um, it is Lester Norman Shears, 78, of Gilbertville, Iowa, died Saturday, July 8th. 
2023 at Unity Point Allen Hospital in Waterloo, Iowa, after a courageous eight-year battle with cancer. He was born August 12, 1944 in Waterloo, the son of Joseph and Mary Welter Shares. He married Phyllis Jean Frost on November 12, 1966 at Immaculate Conception Catholic Church in Gilbertville. She preceded him in death in 1987. Les graduated from Don Vasco Catholic High School in 1962. Les retired in 1994 after 30 years with John Deere Tractor Works. Les was a previous commander of the American Legion Post 714 in Gilbertville and an active member for 56 years. He was the 2022 Grand Marshal for Gilbertville Days, an honor that made him smile for days. Not one to sit around, he spent many years helping others, whether it was as an auctioneer working at the American Legion, renting tents, tables or chairs, or providing a trailer. He was a winter Texan where you might catch him dancing the night away or doing a Blues Brothers act. Always the life of a party. Les is survived by daughter Jody and her husband Josh Menke, two grandchildren, Mason and Ray Lynn, all of Aliquin, Illinois, longtime partner Margaret Ide and her children, brother Henry Shares of Washburn, sisters Marcy McArdle of Independence, and Marie Hesnes of Mason City, sisters-in-law Nancy Genevieve, and Elaine Shares. He's preceded in death by his wife Phyllis, daughter Lori, six brothers Norman, Harry, Earl, Ronnie, Marvin, Elmer, sisters-in-law Karen and Lois, and brother-in-law Jean Hesnes. Memorials may be directed to Immaculate Conception Church, Bosco School System, or St. Jude Hospital. White Funeral Home was in charge of arrangements. Dale, what do you have for library news this week? The library is still there, and it's going <laughs> strong. And if you want a book, you can get one there. Uh, the library, uh, Storytime, member meets every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. They have uh, song stories, and more. And remember, the more you get your kids involved, involved with literature, uh, the better you're going to be. Okay, the July Spice is dill. Now, this is one we know, probably. Did you eat dill pickles? Yes. And your mother put, did she can pickles ever? She did one year ha, and had, had, was a fit, terrible failure, and that was the only year she did. <laughs> Do you remember the Andy Griffith show? Oh, that's a Aunt, great episode. Yeah, Aunt B was making pickles. They were so horrible, so they bought some, you know, and yep. put them in there. Okay. They have a new uh, Fontana critter at the library, and uh, the red-eyed tree frog is gone. And we're going to welcome our July critter, but do they tell us what it is? No. No. Have you been in there to see it? I I haven't looked at it. Okay. I, I guess I have not either. The megaphone blaster party has already happened, but uh, if you happen to see that in the park uh, on Friday, the kids just love that. It had this cannon just spitting out foam, you know, tons and tons of foam, and there's a picture in the bulletin journal I see. Kids had a lot of fun uh, with that foam just all over the place, and so... Uh, the, you can support the public library with the Velvet Coffee Company Bookworm Blend Coffee, which is available uh, in whole beaner ground, and you can order a Polar Camel water bottle, and there's vinyl Jessup Public Library stickers are now on sale in two different styles. So all of these support the Friends of the Library, which is a group that supports the library. Uh, they have a croquet set to check out, disc golf. Those are over in Parker Muncie Park, right? The disc mm -hmm. golf thing? Okay. A digital camera that you could use, which would be kind of neat. A spike ball game. 
Uh, Non-book items include craft stamps, candy molds, cake pans, puzzles, games, STEM activity bags, cookie cutters, and lots more. And remember, there's always interlibrary loan. If they don't have it, they can get it for you. The Dolly Parton Imagination Library is going strong over there, and you can get a gift of books, uh, kids 0 through 5 living in the Jessup School District. You can get a book one a month until their fifth birthday. It's an amazing program. I've said before, my kids in Michigan were part of this, and it's a great, great uh, program to get kids to read, and they look forward to getting those books every month. Uh, the sponsors for that are the Friends of the Public Library, Heartland Technology, Innovative Wealth Management, Jessup Paint and Auto Body, Jessup Chamber of Commerce, and the Jessup Public Library. So, uh, and a thousand books before kindergarten. Uh, you're your child's first teacher, and your home is where your child begins to learn. And so, this is a program that encourages kids to read uh, a thousand books before they get to read or have read to them a thousand books before kindergarten. They have prizes and uh, lots of good things. The movie Champion is going to be on the 24th. Okay, it's Woody Harrelson uh, coaches uh, 10 actors that have learning disabilities of basketball team. I have seen this movie, and the language is not <laughs> appropriate for anyone too young. I will just tell you that. I don't know anybody that talks like that, but apparently they do in the movies. <laughs> but uh, the language is a little rough. Uh, in my opinion. It's PG-13, and all of that, I think, is for language. Uh, so uh, just a warning. To, Jim, you don't want to get your... Oh, yeah, be you better, better watch that. But it is, it is, I found it very interesting in, in, a, in a nice movie, and uh, the, the uh, individuals they found to play the basketball people, they are really very good. And you can tell there's some ad-libbing going on there from these kids, and, uh, well, they're not kids. They're probably young adults, but... Uh, uh, very interesting story about uh, the grumpy old man that finds out he has a heart of gold in there somewhere. So, <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Dale. Uh, Dale, I was thinking about uh, the Farmer's Day always takes me back to my youth. Your youth? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the, as when we have Mike Farrell in today, you will hear his Boston accent. Yeah. You may hear mm -hmm. youth pronounced a little different yeah. there. Yeah, no. Uh, but... I was thinking about a few things, Dale. One thing I was, one of many things I was thinking about was cartoons that I watched as a as a in my childhood. Okay. And I, I was thinking about uh, who deserves or what what characters deserve to be in the cartoon Hall of Fame. Okay. Um, do you do you have two or three, Dale? Well, uh, I always like Foghorn Leghorn, and the little uh, chicken hawk. Yeah. You know, he was a ch uh, that combination. And uh, I know uh, when you watch uh, cartoons with a big theater full of men, you have the cartoon before the movie and you'd see it. And uh, uh, the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote were, were awful big. Uh, people just loved those. That was probably the favorite, the one that got the most attention. Do you remember Snagglepuss? There was a cat, Snagglepuss, and... Uh, that was done by the same group that did the Bugs Bunny and all. Well, I don't think it was Warner Warner Bros. I think it was Hanna Barbera. Oh, what it was, and I can't remember what show they were on. But also, I wrote down here if you remember the Fractured Fairy Tales. I don't remember that. Okay, there was a whole thirty-minute show, and it was Rocky and Bullwinkle show. I remember that. Okay, they had one little segment called Fractured Fairy Tales, where they would tell a fairy tale like Little Red Riding Hood, and from their own point, and then they had a. 
a dog named Mr. Peabody that owned a boy, which I always thought was a neat concept because Mr. Peabody was very smart and he owned this boy, Sherman. And so those are some of my favorites, just thinking real quick here. Of course, I like, you know, Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig. You didn't see Porky Pig so much, but I used to read Porky Pig comic books, but you never saw too many cartoons that had Porky uh, as the regular, as the main character. But uh, they used to have Porky Pig comic books uh, that were really good, as I recall. So those are some of my favorites, just real quick. Rocky and Bullwinkle and a lot of those were on NBC. Those were, that was an adult show. I mean, yeah. you had to know something to get the jokes. Yep. I mean, yeah. uh, you had to uh, have a little prior knowledge. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I remember that. I en- I enjoyed that as well. That was on later in the morning during my during my childhood. Okay. Well, I think when I first saw it, it was like uh, an evening show. It was on the schedule. Okay. And then it later became you know, like a Saturday morning staple or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it was they tried that with uh, the Flintstones too. It was like at six thirty on Saturday night or so. it was on a it was a prime time kind of show. Mm-hmm. But uh, those usually don't last. <laughs> No. <laughs> although, although <clears throat> the um, Fox and TNT and those have brought back cartoon shows, yeah. more adult cartoon shows, yeah. late night stuff yeah. recently, yeah. And, and those names escape me. But. Yeah, yeah. No, when I was teaching elementary school, I used to watch the Saturday morning cartoons, and I would just tell my wife that it was. I had to keep. I'd be able to talk with my kids at school, see, so I had to know, and they were all watching them, so I had to keep up, and so yeah. that's how I got away with it. So it doesn't work anymore. All right. Well, so you talk about, and and a, a number of those are NBC now that I think about it. Okay. Mine are more CBS. Okay. Uh, and I don't know if it was because you know I. I Mom had the had the television program to CBS, or mm-hmm. or, or like you, you were close to Channel Seven in Hazleton. Yeah. My favorite ones included Donald Duck mm-hmm. uh, and Daffy. Daffy was it da- Donald and Daffy Duck? Or, no, they, Donald or, Duck was with Mickey Mouse, and Daffy Duck was with Bugs Bunny. It's two, Daffy. One was Dizzy, and one was the Warner Brothers. That's right. It's Daffy Duck. Daffy, Daffy, Daffy Duck, Duck with the Bugs Bunny and uh-huh. and. and well, yeah. I forgot Elmer Fudd was always a favorite too. So yes, yes. I, actually, I had a lot of ideas. It, it did, and uh, then one that drew me was a a more thinking thinking person cartoon, Johnny Quest. Okay, see, I wasn't a big fan of that. Yeah, so. Johnny oh. Quest's father was a scientist, and they traveled the world, mm-hmm. and Johnny was always involved in in deviance and. And terrorism, okay. and and he would be kidnapped, or he would see things happen, and just like real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so um, Johnny Quest was a favorite of mine. I loved the road run, the Road Runner, mm-hmm. and and Wile E. Coyote. Coyote. Yep. Coyote. I also I also re- really enjoyed show, and I'm trying to think here what his name was. I love I love Popeye and olive oil mm-hmm. and I love the bully in that show. Bluto. Bluto. Yes. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. That's on sun- Sunday mornings on seven point two on KWW. Oh, okay. Before the su- superhero shows of <laughs> Batman and Superman. We are learning a lot about you tonight, Mr. Gillespie. <laughs> 
So, so here you go. So here's a question for you. Okay. Is Batman really a superhero? Yeah. Because he doesn't have superpowers. Yes, and probably he, he's not. Okay. Yeah. All right. He's, he's very vulnerable. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I uh, I would think that he would qualify as a superhero. Spoiler alert out there. You know, if you're going to attack anyone, attack <laughs> Dale Reaver. Well, he's a hero. He's a hero. He just doesn't have any superpowers. So then, so then, is Scooby Doo a superhero? <laughs> Scooby Doo just. I would say he blunders around and blunders around till something happens, and oh, there it is. He doesn't really analytically think things through and come up with some clues and a positive uh, track to go on and you know eliminate suspects. He just uh, he just blunders around. I, that's my opinion. And then an off the list cartoon that I really liked is Jughead from yeah. on the Archie, Archie comics. Archie comics. I really liked Betty and Veronica ah. as a young man. <laughs> the way they drew those gals. Uh, Control your hormones, oh, Mr. Oh man. Oh. Okay. So uh, then another question I had is. What were the top five games you guys played outside? Or back then, we didn't have the electric games. Yeah. We could have played. We played some board games in the wintertime. But when you would go outside, what were some top five games that you guys played? Well, you want to eliminate sports because we played a lot of baseball. Yeah, yeah, we did too. Yeah, uh, my house was right across. Was in left center, right across the street. And uh, so we played baseball over there. We played a lot of uh, hide and seek. Uh, when we got a little older, we played a game called Ditch Him. Do you ever play that? Where on, you're, everybody's on bicycles and one guy stays back and everybody else takes off and then the guy tries to catch you on your on the bicycles. It's sort of like playing tag on bicycles. But you, everybody tried to get away from this one guy. Okay. It wasn't in a mean way, that was the game. But uh, so we played Ditch Him. Uh, I remember playing hopscotch, actually, uh, <laughs> in the dirt, uh, trying to think. Oh, there was lots of others. Uh, we played football a lot. Uh, just uh, It was a game called Kick Go where you were 30 kids on one side and 30 kids on the other, and, and you would try to get the ball over the end line, and you would just throw the ball. If they caught it, they could take five steps and then throw the ball back or kick it. And if you caught it, if you didn't catch it, you had to throw it from where you got it. And so you were always scrambling to be the one to catch the ball. Mm -hmm. And uh, my favorite memory is at the beginning of fourth grade, first time we were playing, I caught the ball. I took my five steps, and then I threw it over everybody's head. And they, that's the first time they realized that I could throw a ball that far. See? And the first time I realized it, but just everything went well. And so somehow over the summer, my arm had grown much stronger right. or whatever, but... Uh, I felt really, really good about you know one of those feelings like wow yeah. you know that's pretty good so, life changing event it is really because yep. uh, then you get respect see mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. when you get the ball and they crowd in close that's not respect you know that's that, that makes you but uh, <laughs> so anyway I threw it away so I don't know is that five or not but uh, we used to uh, be outside a lot uh, I actually remember we played mumbly peg with the with the pocket knife. Uh, where you try to get it off your nose, off your knee, and have it stick. Uh, if there are just two of you, you can play that. Uh, those, are, those are neat. I played, obviously, we played hide-and-seek in our neighborhood when we were young. Yeah. Well, actually, that, we played quite, uh, even into our teens, I think we would play. Mm -hmm. uh, we played every every Saturday night, we would go over to Sue Billmeyer's house 
and the neighborhood would meet about, oh, just before dark because we just get the game started and our parents would start calling us. <laughs> um, we would play Kick the Can. Okay, I never played that, but I've heard of that game, but we never played yeah. that. So. It was like you had to, there was somebody guarding the can, and you had to mm. kick the can over uh, away from the guard of the can yeah. to win the game. Obviously, we played types of tag, mm-hmm. one-legged tag. We played rock, paper, scissors. And the favorite game of the neighborhood was wiffle ball. Oh, I sh- yeah. That was probably ours, too. I forgot about that. Yeah. Did you use a wooden bat? Sometimes. Okay, we used a wooden bat, and there was a guy who could saw it in half, and then he would tape it up. So you had well, two bats out of one, but you used that half bat uh-huh. to hit the wiffle ball. And we used the little golf pe- balls, the little PG oh, ball, really? yeah, practice golf balls. Uh, and uh, you could, two could play because you hit it so far, it's a single, and so far it's a double. Mm-hmm. Did you do that that way and everything? And uh, yeah, we you know, get one out, I think, is all we got. Right. Uh, yeah. But uh, oh, yeah, we played that an awful lot. Yeah. That was really, really big. And another thing I forgot, we played ice hockey at Fontana in the wintertime. We get on there and we get. <laughs> we we crush a can for the puck and we get some tree branches to use for the sticks. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what we had for the goal, but and play ice hockey. And I remember there'd be Amish kids down there sometimes that would skate. And we'd play hockey against them. And I know they're supposed to be pacifists, but they were very wicked with those sticks. Oh, really? oh yeah, they were rough. And they, you know, they hit for the ankles, you know, that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, kids are kids, you know, it was a lot, but. Uh, so it was dangerous fun, but it was it was fun. So, uh, so yeah, I remember that. Okay. But wiffle ball, yeah. Gee, I used to love play that. Yeah. I used to play that hours and hours. And I was home on leave, and I went to visit my good friend's house, and he was uh, in the Air Force in Florida or whatever. And I was talking with his mom, and she said, you know, we used to worry about the backyard, all the, you know, the bare spots where, you know, first, second, third, and home. And she would give anything now to have that grass back there because there's no kids coming over there anymore because we're all grown and gone. Right. And so I always remember that when my own kids were messing something up. I said, well, you know, it'll grow back someday. Minnie um, Winger, great lady. So, All right. Well, Dale, how'd Farmer's Day go this year? Tell us about Farmer's well, Day. Well, we don't have the money lined up yet, and that's always the biggest indicator. But uh, Wednesday, or I'm sorry, Friday, we had the rain. And so we felt that really cut down on our numbers and this sort of thing. But Saturday, uh, the crowd was down there from, you know, during the parade and then right after the parade. And uh, in the evening, uh, the beer garden, and I, we always talk about the beer garden because that's where we get our money from to do all this stuff, uh, was full to overflowing. And so uh, we have high hopes. Uh, the astronaut, uh, that we came, he came in from uh, Connecticut, and we got a call on... Friday, they were stuck in the airport in Chicago and maybe couldn't make it and this sort of thing. But he, he did make it, and so he gave a nice little talk downtown. And then I heard him talking uh, over in the we had a little tent by Miller Vogel uh, where the ambassadors were, and he was in there and just a very nice man. And, uh, uh, you know, would tell about, answer questions and autograph pictures and give it to the kids and this sort of thing. So uh, uh, was a very nice man. We thought a lot of kids came down to play with the inflatables we have on Thursday, we thought that was a good uh, a good thing for us, and so and a lot of kids rode on the carnival, so I don't know we feel pretty positive about it, and uh, we're we're this close to that's a, just a little bit half inch, 
to getting a date for next year already as far as, because we need dates so we can start signing up people to come. Yep. But, uh, and the date revolves around the carnival. And so uh, Alan's working really hard uh, with the carnival people to get them to commit to some. The carnival we get uh, is one of the finest around. If you go to other celebrations, uh, they don't have near the carnival that we do. It's just a fantastic carnival, and so we're very lucky to get them. And so uh, we're hoping. The last I knew, we had another carnival lined up. We had two dates that they were debating, and then all at once Alan said, well, he's talking to this guy, the Evans show that we don't normally get, and just saying, hey, what day could you possibly come? What dates do you have? And we will move to meet you because he thinks that, that that carnival is so good. And so, again... Haven't heard anything yet, mm-hmm. but uh, but uh, when we get all our money in and everything, then we'll have an idea because we spend a lot of money this year, and that I think more than we usually do, and uh, much more than we usually do actually, and so uh, see how that goes. You know, we get all the accounts paid and this sort of thing, and our bills paid, and see where we stand, and then we'll go from there. But uh, uh, I I'm very positive about it myself. I thought that we had a lot of people, and so. Uh, some good things. Sixteen people found moon rocks in that big pile of sand and yeah. got a free dish of ice cream. So, <laughs> so I don't know. It just was interesting. I thought the whole NASA thing I thought was a good idea. So it, uh, it, it now was, all we do is need an idea for next year. So, so. there you go. Yeah. yeah. There, there you go. Well, thank you. Yeah. On the calendar of events for the C. Brown Arts Center this Saturday, we will have a booth at. Independence Farmers Market from 8 till 12. And then on the 29th of July is Bulletin Free Watermelon. It's coming up, isn't it? It It is, it is. I've been double checking with the artists and the musicians. We are hopefully. I stopped at a watermelon place down in Mount Pleasant. I hope I can get them a little closer in Mount Pleasant. <laughs> but uh, I, they, they, uh, they've been getting their watermelon from Illinois already. Oh, okay. So the Independence FFA has promised us watermelon, but it, they, things weren't growing well yeah, early. No, Dale, that's true. So, yep. so we will, we will see. Hopefully, they do. Otherwise, we will. We will make arrangements elsewhere. Yeah. There's a lot of watermelon. That just seemed a little early to me that watermelon would be ready around here in a July. But, yeah, uh, you never know how things are going to go. Yeah. The the what's about the youth talent show? What is that all about? The the youth talent show. We did this last year, and it's August August seventeenth. It's the Thursday before school starts. Okay, and. It is kids K through 12, and they perform in the pavilion mm-hmm. in the park. Yeah. And we had 30 acts last year. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. 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 And so we are looking forward to having at least half those this year. Mm-hmm. And I think we will have that. But it's during. Or it's during lunch in the park. Yeah. So we had 125 people, and up to this point, that's been our largest event. Mm-hmm. It's 125 people. Yeah. For for grant purposes, we keep track of 
how many people we have at sure. each event and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was uh, well attended. And where do they? How do they register for this? On, they, all online. Very or? good. They they can register. Kelly will have something. Kelly Cihas at Cowick Five Nine One will have something um, on her Facebook page. The Steve Brown Arts Center will have something on on our Facebook page, and Annette Zook ah, okay. will have something on her Facebook okay. page. So it works out real well. And Kelly is a mm. a great recruiter when mm. it comes to that. Yeah, well, that's great. So. So that is that is August seventeenth, and and with all the events we have going on, Dale, that that seems like a lifetime away to me right now. <laughs> yes, it does. But, uh, but thanks for asking. Thank sure. you for asking. We are doing real well with StoryCorps. We're if you get a chance, go to the StoryCorps app and type in Buchanan County, Iowa, and you can, and that will take you to a number of different interviews that were done mm-hmm. by the Steve Brown Arts Center. Okay. So Buchanan County, Iowa, on the StoryCorps or their website. Okay. And you can find that. Okay. So there's some neat interviews. And you have any idea about how many you've done? or We've probably done 15. 15? Okay. 15, not yeah. 50, yeah. 15. Okay. Uh, some people, you know, will sit and talk, and they'll just tell brilliant stories, then I'll say you would do a one. I'll say you would do a wonderful story core. I can't do that online. Yeah. And they just shut up and yeah. run away from me. Yeah. And I have that effect. I run a lot of people away. <laughs> so. so, but we're still doing that till the end of the summer. Okay. Um, as always, the Littleton Free Watermelon Day is sponsored by the Littleton Lounge, Reyes Concrete, Littleton Chatham Historical Society. Jacobson's Fabrication Repair, Dream Chaser Acres, Boyd's Food Truck, Laces, Jessup Lions Club, Independence High School, FFA, Thomas James, Totally Rolled Ice Cream, Northeast Iowa, Even Events and Rentals, Derek's Repair Shop, and the Independence Bulletin Journal. Uh, we will always take more sponsorship, even even up to and afterwards as well. Dale, there's a game out there that's being played called Poker 2 Individual. I'm sorry, Poker 2? Poker 2, as a T-W-O, Individuals. Okay. So what you have to do is you have to say two people you'd like to be, and they have to be alive, and why... And whoever has the best two is the winner. Okay. And so how it goes is each person chooses one. Um, we'll spin the pen to see who goes first. It's you, Dale. You get to go first. <laughs> okay. So name one person in this world you would like to be. With a lot of silence to cut. Uh, let, let me give you. Let me give you an example. Yeah, that would be This. Everybody, a lot of people say they'd love to be um, Tom Brady, um, the former quarterback oh, okay. of the New England Patriots. Yeah. But, uh, you know, for his success in the Super Bowl, he, he dated a supermodel and married a supermodel. Yeah. He is a millionaire. He's got a 
contract with Fox Television of like $28 million a year. Mm-hmm. And But then the argument against him is he was pounded for 25 years as a quarterback yeah. in the backfield. He went through a terrible divorce with his wife. Um, most recently, he lost a $30 million lawsuit um, dealing with stock. And so, you know, there's always things that are for and against people. So when I say people, Dale, you want to be able to respond against them. I see. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because uh, having a lot of money is not always a good thing. No. So. <clears throat> so would you like me to start? Why don't you? All right. So I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really not having any that, luck here. That's okay. So, so I would say Barack Obama. Okay. And here, here's the reason why he's no longer, he was, he was one of the most powerful people in the world, in the free world, for a long time. He changed the world in many ways, um, including health care. Mm-hmm. He now has many different <clears throat> programs that he's involved with and helps the world, and yet he enjoys great respect by many people mm-hmm. and doesn't doesn't open his mouth and look poorly in front of a lot of people yeah as a former president mm-hmm. so i would argue barack obama okay. well the one thing with barack obama is the fact that uh, he will need secret service protection for the rest of his life because there are a lot of people that don't like him what he stands for as far as uh, being the first black president is uh, alone enough to irritate a lot of people. Uh, and so he will need that Secret Service protection the rest of his life, and I, he also, I think, will have to worry about his children the rest of his life as far as what his fame will do to them, will it allow them to lead a fairly normal life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I think there's a possibility, because you see, like, the one Bush girl, is on uh, NBC, on the Today Show a lot, and she appears to be leading just a regular life and has a job and uh, has a husband and children, that sort of thing. But you have to wonder about that sort of thing. And also, uh, his wife, you know, has those has those big arms, you know. And so if she gets mad at him, that's, <laughs> that's it for little Barack, you know. He, he, he might get stuffed in a pickle jar or something by her. So, so yeah, you have to watch all that. But, yeah, uh, but I think... Uh, I'm not supposed to play the game this way. The positives outweigh the negatives, but there are negatives to being famous and for doing a lot of neat things and having everybody recognize you. Okay. And the ability just to walk into a cafe and have a cup of coffee and a donut and talk to a few people is gone. I mean, that's forever gone. And uh, I'm not sure I would care for that myself. All right. So uh, then you need to respond with a person. With a person, okay. And you think about a famous person, right? So, Doesn't have to be famous. Yeah, but I well, uh, I think a man like Tom Hanks has a lot of positives. Uh, very much respected as an actor, uh, won an award, won awards for that. Uh, has done quality work his whole life for the most part. Uh, takes roles that have s- some meaning to other people and are not just fluff for the most part. Uh, a family man, wife and kids, same wife many, many years, and uh, uh, well-respected for that, and can go just about anywhere and find uh, people who uh, 
admire his work and would be glad to talk to him about it or to tell him how wonderful he is if he needs that sort of thing. But he appears to be uh, just a regular guy that happens to be a movie star. And I think that's what, uh, not all of them try for that. A lot of them want to be a movie star, but not a regular guy. They want to be, well, clear to the top. You know, they want everybody to admire them. They want people fawning all over them. And then some of them even hire people to follow around and say, yes, you're doing great in this sort of thing. And I don't think he's that kind of person. I think he's very much uh, content with who he is. And just to me, he just seemed to be like a regular guy that happens to be a movie star. Okay, so here would be my response against Tom Hanks. And uh, that is a very good one. You, you, you caught me off guard a little <laughs> bit, Mr. Reaver. Okay. But I, I talked to a doctor about Tom Hanks. Okay. And if you, Tom Hanks developed in his acting, because of his acting career and the roles that he played, he developed type 2 diabetes because of his, because of his, uh, the roles he played. How does that happen? Well, two roles in particular. Um, the first role, when remember Castaway? Yeah. Remember he was lost on that island for, for, I, you several know, years. Several years. Yeah. Well, he, uh, I forget how many pounds he lost in that ah, okay. in that uh, role, but it yeah. was a it lot. was a yeah. lot, yeah. and and that you know that was the first rule. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that wasn't the first rule. No, you go back. You remember in the Forrest Gump movie where Forrest ran across the country mm-hmm. for like two and a half years. Well, because he ran so much in that film. He lost pounds and pounds and pounds. So during his acting career, his weight would go up and then it would go down and up and then down and up and down. And because of that, he developed, and it may not be type 2 diabetes, but he developed a type of diabetes because of that. So there there are things that come with being an actor like that, I think, that we don't see. No, I'm sure that's true. Yeah. 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 Especially if you really want to do it right. Right. Okay. Um, now, forgive me here as I, as I say this. I can't remember the Japanese baseball player's name that plays for the Angels. Yeah, I can't either, l- but yeah, I know leads, you're Leads the league in pitching and strikeouts or top four. Uh-huh. And is one of the best hitters in the league yep. as well. He's going to overshadow A-Rod's contract that came multiple years ago by so much next year. The Angels face an issue where they're going to have to trade him. Mm -hmm. But he is, without a doubt, the best baseball player to ever play. People want to argue Babe Ruth, but Babe Ruth only pitched the first couple years in his career, I believe. Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. And I, I believe it's a Otani or something like yeah, that. Yeah. I, yeah. I would know it if I heard it, but yeah. I don't. And so I, I would like to be him. The mm-hmm. skills that he has. He struck out his teammate in the World Baseball Championships. Mm-hmm. La- the last out. I mean, talk about a, a remarkable scene um, for baseball. Yeah. So... He struck out um, Trout. So uh, I, I would choose him as my second person. Well, uh, <laughs> I don't, he doesn't speak English, of course. Yeah, most, the, of the, most of the world speaks English, and he doesn't. 
So that'd be, uh, it's going to be hard for him to uh, okay. get along in this world. Say, I'm really reaching here, aren't I? I think I'd like to be him too because <laughs> he is playing baseball, which I, I dearly love to do, and uh, doing it very, very well. And uh, the only problem you have with him, you know, you're forecasting all these things, but, uh, you know, he's one pulled muscle or blister on his finger from not being able to pitch anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, same thing with hitting, you know, sometimes it goes away. The pitch, you know, everybody catches up with you. And so uh, they're forecasting these things, but we'll know more in 20 years than we know now. And so... Uh, he, uh, I don't say he's the flash in the pan, but uh, he's got a long ways to go yet before he can certifiably be the greatest player that ever played. Okay. And so he, uh, he has some years yet. To me, it'd be exciting years, right, to try and uh, – so I think it'd be better if you – I like it where you, you build instead of, boom, here you are, you know, then you, right. how do you, you – if you maintain that, are you is there, are you meeting expectations? If you don't get better, are you a bum? Or if you fall down a little bit, are you a bum because you can't do what you did when you were 20 years old? I don't know. But uh, it's very unfair the way they judge people. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, I, I agree with you on that. But uh, I would hesitate to give him all these accolades until, you know, more time has gone by. He's going to get the money, though. Oh, yeah, he's going to get the money. And uh, if that's how you judge it. And that's how they do judge it. You know, they look at those contracts, and they, yeah. and I can't remember who the pitcher was, but he, when he contract came, he said, "Well, I, I need one dollar more than so and so got, or I'm not signing." You know, he uh, wanted to be the highest paid pitcher in the country, and so uh, he will. He's going to get. They're, they're figuring he's going to get eighty million dollars a year. Next yeah, year. yeah. So, what's he going to do with it? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'll find a way to spend. He'll buy one of those mansions in Los Angeles that slide down into the gully. So. There you go. Okay. So, so Dale, who, who's your I'll second? I'll give you one more. Okay, Samantha Guthrie. Oh, okay. Uh, NBC News does the Today Show, and it looks like NBC has been really grooming her for big things in her career, and uh, she uh, uh, pretty much does the Today Show, and if they have a big story, they send her. If they have the election night coverage, She's there. If they have uh, the Olympics in Paris, you know, she's going to be there. And so it seems like they have really decided that this girl has what it takes mm-hmm. to be an all-star in the news business. And I don't know anything about her, but she appears to be a very nice person. And uh, when she asks questions, she can be tough. She doesn't back down from anybody. She'll ask the tough question. And she appears to be very smart. First in her class in some college she went to I don't know what kind of degree. I really don't know anything about her. But she just uh, watching her on television most mornings for a while. Uh, she just appears to me to be the kind of person that uh, is going to be successful and is is a nice person. Because she's a nice person, people relate to her, like her, and so she would be a good person to be. I think. Yes. All right. So here, here would be my argument against you. And please, females, don't take me as being misogynist <laughs> on this. But for some some reason, our world attacks females when they get to higher powers, mm. when they get to when they get to a position of strength like that. And as she gets stronger, and one one woman that has avoided this is Oprah Winfrey. Mm-hmm. Oprah, Oprah has stayed strong as she's built a, a media empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's tougher for women 
to become a leader like she is becoming, and there's no doubt she is. Mm-hmm. She's building. She's springboarding. On the fast track, don't yep. you? Yeah, I really yep. do. So, um, but but it's tougher for women. Mm-hmm. I, no. I hope she succeeds. Yeah. All right. So that that is that is called poker two individuals. Is <laughs> okay. what it's called. Play that with your friends at home. Okay. Okay. <laughs> if you'd like to donate to the Steve Brown Arts Center or have an idea for an event, go to the stevebrownartscenter.org and follow the link. If you have news or would like to sponsor us, email us at jim at stebrownartcenter.org or call 319-290-0241 and leave a message. I'm Jim Gillespie. Thanks to co-host Dale Reber, our producers Blake Tempest and Kelly Cihas at Cowork 591 Studios. Thanks to the audience for bringing these stray dogs into your day. Remember... Each day is about little victories.